Okay. Any words? Yeah, it's worth one. Okay. So I want to I want to have a word of introduction. You know the 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 uh, books of Breshit and Shmot are indelibly stamped in our memory because of the Ramban. The Ramban said that the book of Breshit is the book of creation. The entire book, he called it Sefer Yitzirah, the book of creation. The book of Shemot, he called Gula, redemption. It was. It makes sense to us if we try to explain the entire book of Breshit within the context of Yitzirah. That works. We try to explain the entire book of Shemot as the book of redemption of Gula. That also works. Now, what about the book of Bamidbar? Now, the book of Bamidbar is a book that has a lot of interesting stories to tell, and things that we're supposed to know, of course. But the one overriding theme that appears in many of the parashiyot of the book of Bamidbar, remember the book of Bamidbar covers the 38 years from the time of punishment for the Cheta Egel began, for the, the sin of the golden calf, until they actually entered into Eretz Canaan, that was 38 years of traveling. So we don't have so many stories, but we have a few. And the thing that is overridingly obvious about the stories is that they are the record of opposition to Moshe Rabbeinu. And one of the first great stories implying opposition to Moshe Rabbeinu took place in the parasha of Bahalotcha under the heading Eldadu Meidad Mitnab Imba Machana. Eldadu Meidad, two people are prophesying in the camp. That's the story that we're interested in understanding. But but first, as I said, I want to introduce a few notions. One is that it seems always to me that El Dado Meidad, besides the fact that they rhyme, uh, and they're not introduced to us as having a noble or an outstanding kind of parentage. We don't know who their parents were. We don't know where they came from. They just tell Dado Meidad and they rhyme. It seems to me, it seems to me that a rhyming uh, kind of uh, point here and the lack of reference of parents or any sort of yichus indicates that there may never have been an Eldadu Meidad. But there's something about this story that refers to all of the Jewish people 
and not to the individuals named here. It's something like the Ploni Almoni of Migilat Rut. Ploni Almoni, somebody. We don't know his name, but it's not important to know his name. You remember when Avram Avinu took Yitzchak up on the mountain to sacrifice him, he took with him Shnei Abadim, Shnei Ayuradim Yachdav. He took with him two young men. Who are the two young men? Who are the two young men? My Yitzchak was, was going to be in the binding of Yitzchak. But he took with him Yishmael and Eliezer. Well, if he, why, why, if he took those two with him, well, why weren't they named in the Torah? Why weren't they named in the Torah? The answer is because they were unable to understand what was going to happen. And so even though they came with Abraham and Yitzchak, they stopped and camped far away from the event that might have taken place. And the reason that they stayed far away was because they just were not able to understand. They weren't on the level of understanding which would enable them to use the story in a positive way. Very much so, we can say about Moshe Rabbeinu going up on Har Sinai to get the to get the Torah. Hashem says to the people with him, with Moshe, this you just stay where you are, at the bottom of the mountain, and then Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu will receive the Torah because he's capable of it. And you really are not capable of receiving more than the first two of the Ten Commandments. So we have to understand that it's not just giving the Torah, but it's also your capacity to receive the Torah. And I want to remind you about one more thing before we start learning the parasha. And one more thing is about Yitro. Remember Yitro came to the camp? Let's say it was before Matan Torah, as, as the Torah relates it to us. Before Matan Torah. Yitro saw that Moshe Rabbeinu was driving himself mad that he wanted to answer every shaila that the people asked, that he was unable, he, Moshe Rabbi, was unable to rest. Everybody wanted to know what Hashem said through Moshe Rabbeinu about a particular question. So Yitro, not assuming a Torah position, Yitro was, a, was into logistics. He, he knew how to run a business. So he said to Moshe Rabbeinu, look, you know, you're not going to be able to make it. This job that you've undertaken is going to kill you. So why don't you get assistance? 
Now, this is far from a brilliant idea. And it's wondrous to imagine that Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't have thought of this on his own. He needed the help of Yitro. So Moshe Rabbeinu responds, I'll tell you why I don't do what you said I should do. The people who come to me with She'elot, they want the best possible answer that they can hear, that they can receive. So they know that if they come to me, I go to Hashem. What Hashem tells me, that's what I tell them. And can't be better than that if I would take assistance, associates, seconds in command. I mean, who would go to them? They don't want them. They want me. So Yitro said, okay, they want you. But if you continue to do the I want you method, you'll die. And the Jewish people will die with you because they'll say, we can't replace Moshe Rabbeinu. We can't do what we did. We are no longer have the capacity to be Moshe Rabbeinu. So Yitro, Yitro won. And HaKadosh Baruch told Moshe Rabbeinu how to expand the Dayanim, the judges, in the camp. That's the story of Yitro, and I think that's the obvious shot. Here in the book of Bamidbar, here in the book of Bamidbar, the people are complaining. They don't like the menu. They don't like what they're eating. So what are they eating? They're eating man. You know, man is described carefully in the last chapter of the book of, of, of uh, Masechet Yoma. And it was miraculous food, miracle food. Well, you just ate it, and it disappeared in your body. It had the taste of whatever you liked. Miriam's well produced as much Diet Coke as you could possibly drink. I mean, what's so bad about that? The people came and said, we don't like it. I mean, I can imagine, even though it's like a, a, a movie that I haven't seen, that, you know, you can't live in that world. It's, it may work after a fashion, but it doesn't encourage you. It doesn't encourage you to be part of it. I mean, everything is different. Everything is miraculous. I mean, it's it's one thing to fly off to Mars and recreate Earth. It wouldn't be quite as good if you flew off to, to Mars and then the Martians would be interested in feeding you. They were not able, this is what it says in the, in the beginning of Perakirala, they were not able to live in the world, in this miraculous world. Was it bad? I don't think so. Did they go hungry? I don't think so. But it was all a miracle. 
You imagine everything you do is miraculous. So they couldn't do it. They came to Moshe Rabbeinu to complain. They came to Moshe Rabbeinu to complain. And Moshe Rabbeinu took it all very seriously. He thought that this indicated somehow the end of his opportunity to recreate the Jewish people. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu came from a different world. He came from a world in which there were only miracles. He was born, that was a miracle. He was discovered, that was a miracle. He was in the house of the Pharaoh, that was a miracle. He ran away, that was a miracle. For him, miracles were, if I could say it, you know, like the bread and butter of life. He lived in a world of miracles, not our world of miracles. We say, oh, it's a miracle. You know, we don't mean, don't really mean that. But for Moshe Rabbeinu, it was really a world of, of miracles. So that there might have been a disconnect between what the people were saying and the way Moshe Rabbeinu understood it. The people were saying, we don't like the miraculous world we will put into it. Moshe Rabbeinu said, there may be no cure. There's no way to get people, regular people involved. No way. So he went to a Kaddish Baruch looking for an answer. Sort of, help me out. I can't do it, which was not Moshe Rabbeinu's want. What Moshe Rabbeinu was generally, had generally done up to that time when, the, when the, there was a, a, a matter of clarifying for B'nai Yisrael what their obligations were and what had to be done so Moshe Rabbeinu would do it. But in this case, the continuation of the story, and this is the part of the story that we're going to look at today, by Yom HaShem Moshe, HaShem said to Moshe, collect for me 70 men of the elders of Yisrael. The elders are people who were made into Dayanim in the time of Yitro. People who function as le- in leadership role, not Moshe Rabbeinu, but they function in a leadership role. Take them to the Moed, to the tent of the meeting, to what we call the Mishkan. That's the place of Moshe Rabbeinu. You have to understand. Moshe Rabbeinu received Torah there, in that place. He went there when called. And HaKadosh Baruch taught him the next part of the Torah. Then he went and he taught it to B'nai Yisrael. And that's how the Torah, as we know it, came into being. V'yaradati v'dibarti im chasham 
and I will come down and I will speak to you there. The spirit that rests upon you, I'll take a little bit of it. With Samti Alehem, and each person will get a little bit with Nazui, and they will bear with you the weight of the people. So here we have this idea that Moshe Rabbeinu, he was a leader, but he had a certain kind of status. He wasn't just a leader, he was also a prophet. And it was the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu that was causing difficulty. Because the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu said you can live in a world created by prophecy. And the people said, no, we want regular, regular sandwiches. And so HaKadosh Baruch said, take the 70, bring them together, and together you'll do it. I will make them into junior prophets. And the people, make sure they they know that they're supposed to sanctify themselves. For tomorrow, because you're going to get meat to eat, because you said, you said, who is going to feed us meat, which we had plenty of in Mitzrayim. And God will give you meat and you will eat. This is, that's what you tell the people. It won't be just a couple of days. Let's see how you like it. You know, you eat a you eat a steak sandwich. First time, it's wonderful. Second time, it's still pretty good, but you know, what if you had a steak sandwich three times a day? Every day, for 30 days, that's what you ate. So what a Kodesh Baruch is trying to tell them is that you, you have this negative tendency. When you have something, you don't want it. So it could be about Torah, and it could be about food. To be a bad man. You kind of well, hate you hated God, what God produced for you. But if they cried, why did we leave Mitzrayim? It was they just can't figure out what Hashem wants from them. All they want is a salami sandwich. Real salami, not man salami. Which doesn't seem to be such a big request. And they, and HaKadosh Baruch is angry at them because they, they don't realize what they have. They don't realize how it is. Now this is really a, a difficult pasuk, really. 
Here's Moshe Rabbeinu who looks at Hashem. He says, what are you talking about? How are you going to get 600,000 salami sandwiches? Okay, I, I understand. And maybe talking about salami sandwiches makes it a little bit less serious. But this is what Yom Moshe. This is Moshe Rabbeinu who gave us the Torah who understood more about Hashem through his own personal relationship to God than anybody ever since that time. But look at the Pasuk again. I mean, it's Eftamatan Torah. You can't just get salami. You have to shech the cow. You have to kasher it. And you have to do whatever you have to do to get the salami. You're going to have enough? And what about salmon? Some of them want salmon. Where are you going to get enough salmon to feed all the people? Pasuk in Kita Aleph, Kita Gan. Of all the people in the world who know that the hand of God can do anything. And we don't know exactly what the argument was, but we do know that a Kodesh Baruch says, I'll show you. It'll happen. Will there be such a happening or not? He started to do what Hashem told him to do. But yes, save Shibimish. The first thing he did was 70, 70 men, Mizikneya Am, from amongst the elders. He put them around the old Moedes. Hashem asked. And somehow this happened, something we don't understand. But Moshe Rabbeinu had like, 90 points of Nebuah. And Hashem took a little bit of the Ruach of the 90 and put it on the Shivim Isha Skenim and gave it to the, each of the, a little bit to each of the Skenim. They started prophesying. Okay. Let me just look at at the Rashi. That's one Rashi that we don't want to miss out on. 
See, Moshe Rabbeinu said, I told him, hey, can you do it? Can you really slaughter enough cows right here in the desert where we're waiting for good things to happen? Rashi quotes, Do you see the Rashi? I hope you see it. One second. That's the beginning of the Rashi. Underlined in red, This is one of the four things that Rabbi Akiva would uh, explain so this Rashi quotes, and Rashi is 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 the way we learn the Chumash. Starting out, you know, Rashi teaches us Chumash. He says on this pasuk, there's a machloket Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Shimon, and the way he says it is echad miabadvarim shayar Rabbi Akiva doresh ve'ein Rabbi Shimon doresh kamoto. What is that? Rabbi Shimon Omer. Rabbi Shimon, I'm sorry, Rabbi Akim Omer. Sheish built Elif Ragli, Vata Amata Basar Etelem. Rabbi Akiva said, yeah, Rabbi, Rabbi uh, Akiva did not explain it away. But he said, that Moshe Rabbeinu said, Ata Amata, you said, Hashem, I'll give them meat to eat for the month. Could it be that you have that much meat available? You see, I mean, Rashi knows that. If you have a difficulty with what's written in the Pshat, there are mechanisms to overcome that difficulty. But here, Rashi explains Rabbi Akiva as saying, That's Kemashmo, the simple meaning of the Pasuk, what it says. Where are they going to get all these cows from? And then he quotes several other, several other Pasuk, Pasukim, and he says, Rabbi Shimon Omer, Rabbi Shimon Omer, one second on the line. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Chasmin Shalom. You think Moshe Rabbeinu, one in a, in, a, in a billion, no one else like him. You think that's what he meant? The question, if God had the ability to bring that many salami sandwiches, no. It cannot be. Mishikatubo, a person about whom it is said, who is the most dependable one in my household. That's what Hashem said about Moshe Rabbeinu. Yomar, Heina Makoya, speak Lanu. 
He's the one who's going to say that God can't do it, can't get the, all those sandwiches. This is what he actually said, according to Rabbi Shiva. He said, There are 600,000 of them. 600,000 persons. You said there'll be meat for an entire month. So first give them all this meat to eat, kill all these cows, produce all of this, all of this, and then do them or do away with them. It was the question of whether Rabbi Shimon was a different question. It wasn't about God's ability to produce the food, but it was about God's uh, presenting a difficult way to follow. That first of all, all this food would be produced, and then God would kill kill the people of of Israel. So, so we have uh, there. There are a few mysteries. There are a few mysteries. Just a second. Okay. So, amongst all of these stories, is the story of the discussion between Moshe Rabbeinu and HaKadosh Baruch which Rashi teaches us is the source of the Machloket between Rabbi Akiva and, and Rabbi Shmuel. Now, now, Rabbi Akiva was not a, a, a kind of a regular person. His achievement in Torah was phenomenal. And he his influence upon us even today is overwhelming. So when Rabbi Akiva said, look, you could read the Pasuk as it's written. You don't have to fiddle around with it. Well, that's something really important that Rashi couldn't ignore. Rashi was not really in the place of of, of putting that kind of, of Xing out that kind of material and saying it's all the opposition to Rabbi Akiva will will be the only thing that is that remains standing. The next pasuk. The next pasuk. The next pasuk. Here's the story. Vayisharu shnei anashim v'machaneh. 
שם אחד על דת ושם השני מי דת. ותנח עליהם הרוח והמה בכתובים, ולא יצאו האוהלה ויתנבאו במחנה. So these two became Eldad and Medad, somehow unnecessarily became part of this prophetic interchange. Uh, the 70s came in. They all became prophets, not prophets like Moshe Rabbeinu, but prophets to be able to help Moshe Rabbeinu take care of the, of the flock. ויירץ הנער ויגד למשה ויאמר אלדד ומידד מתנבאים במחנה. He named them. He said אלדד ומידד, or as we said before, maybe they are not actual personalities, but they are the idea of it. פסוק כ"ה ויען יהושע בן משרת משה מבחוריו. יהושע בן suddenly enters into the Discussion, Yoshua bin Nun, Misharet Moshe, Me Bechura, Bayom Adoni Moshe Kilaim, put them in jail. Now, what did they do that was so unacceptable? Apparently, apparently, it's like some kind of an electrical storm that they were in. All the 70, all the 70 remained. And got some of the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu, but Eldad and Medad, who were not invited, also got. So Moshe Rabbeinu said something negative to Yoshua. Well, why are you taking up this battle, Mi'itain? Kol Amashem Neviyim. Would be great, wouldn't it, if all the people became prophets? God will give His Spirit unto them. So, according to Moshe Rabbeinu, Elder Umeidad represented something good, and according to Yoshua bin Nun, Elder Umeidad represented something bad. But that bad was that even though HaKadosh Baruch Hu decided to help Moshe Rabbeinu with the prophetic side of him, it was still room for Elda the Meida to strike out on a different, on a somewhat different course. Lamed Vayasev Moshe Lamachanehuz Kedai Yisrael. He came together. V'ruach Nasami Et Hashem. So this was something happened. It was like a miracle. They were eating away the slav, these birds. They're still in the time that the basar, that the meat they ate is still within their 
within their uh, teeth. It's just like the amount of time you have to wait between basar and chalav. And you wait until the basar is no longer in your in your teeth. Terem yikareit v'avashem harabaam v'yachashem ba'amakarabamaod. And there was no way to fix it. And so they were. Okay. Sometimes this story, as it's told in the Tanakh or in the Torah, the story is like a self-fulfilling prophecy. We knew that there was something wrong. Something that was the misuse of prophecy. And not only the misuse of prophecy, but the inability of the people to become part of the prophetic world, which was Moshe Rabbeinu's world. Moshe Rabbeinu felt that he had had failed because he had not produced the nation that would be able, the nation that would be able to accept uh, living in a wondrous world. It may be that what was behind all of this was that Moshe Rabbeinu thought that he might be able to redirect B'nai Israel to creating a world in the desert and not being so convinced that they had to strike out into the normal, the regular, the normal world that they had learned about in Egypt. All of this is a kind of a mystery which is not solved, but is addressed again and again in the book of Bamidbar, and we'll have occasion to follow that along in the coming in the coming weeks. Have a good Shabbos. All the best to you. Thank you. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.